0: Every so often, a new term appears in the business lexicon that becomes instant shorthand for an otherwise complicated concept. For example, disruptive innovation or jump the shark. And now we can add unicorn to that list. Most often relegated to the realm of myth and fantasy, the unicorn entered the business domain in a 2013 article in TechCrunch, when Cowboy Ventures partner Aileen Lee used it to describe high-growth startups with valuations of $1 billion or more. Unicorns are rare, they are aspirational, and some would say they are even magical in their ability to defy the odds. At the time of Lee's article in 2013, there were 39 unicorns that met the criteria. Just three years later, there were 208 with a cumulative value of $1.3 trillion. So which starry-eyed startup is next to join the list? Today, we'll hear from Professor Shikhar Ghosh about his case entitled, Karim, Raising a Unicorn. I'm your host, Brian Kenny, and you're listening to Cold Call. So we are all sitting there in the classroom. The professor walks in, and, and
1: they look up, and you know it's coming. Oh, the dreaded cold call.
0: Shakar Ghosh is the course head for Founder's Journey, a second year course in the Harvard MBA program. And he's been a successful entrepreneur for the last 20 years, having been the founder and CEO or chairman of eight different technology-based entrepreneurial companies. That's quite a track record, Shakar. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. (laughs) So you clearly understand this case from the inside out. You've lived it uh, yourself a little bit, right? I've lived it a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) So I would ask you to start um, very simply by telling us who's the protagonist
1: in this case and and what's on their mind. You know, what really got me interested in this case was that the protagonists were two consultants. Mm -hmm. And one of them had a problem. He He had to have emergency brain surgery and almost didn't make it through. And when he had to be flown from Dubai to the Cleveland Clinic. It wasn't clear he was gonna make it through. And when he did, he realized all of a sudden that he was one of the lucky ones. Mm. Not only did had he made it through this, but he was in a position, he worked for McKinsey at that point, uh, to do anything he wanted with his life. And so you know, he got to thinking about it in the hospital, and he decided that he was gonna you know, change the world for the better. Mm-hmm. And he was gonna do that by building something not just by advising people or thinking through issues. Um, and then at the same time, the second protagonist, Madashir Sheker, was at McKinsey also leaving, but for different reasons. But it started with both of them, you know, leaving a very secure career mm. to do something meaningful. Kareem actually means generous. And when they started the company, they wanted to do something that would change the lives of people around them. Yeah.
0: And I suppose that a life-changing event like that, in both of their situations, is probably not an uncommon way for entrepreneurs to kind of, you know, get whatever inspiration they need to to venture out and try something new. How did you hear about Kareem?
1: I actually heard about it because our office in Dubai, the HBS Research Center there, yeah. um, you know, told me this is a company you really should pay some attention to for your course over here on Founders Journeys because here's a company. First of all, there aren't that many successful entrepreneurial ventures in the whole Middle East mm-hmm. uh, that we know about not counting Israel. Um and and they said here's this really exciting company that's looking at the world a different way than the way traditional businesses in that region have. And then as I read up a little bit and got to talk to the founders, I found that you know they faced many of the same problems that we face here and many very different problems. Than what we did here, but they were just a fascinating group of people, yeah. In the way they they were approaching things. So, for our listeners who don't know, uh, what business is Kareem in? What do they do? So, think about Kareem as the Uber of the Middle East. Okay. Um, so they started off as sort of a, almost a black car service, you know, mostly to professionals like consultants, and then from that they've morphed into you know something that's pretty close to, from a consumer's perspective, indistinguishable from uh, from an Uber. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now they've tailored it to the Middle East, the issues about women driving, about safety of women, cultural norms, um, the labor pool being mostly immigrant. There's a whole range of of issues that are unique to that area. Yeah. Um, And so they've tailored the whole thing to that. But fundamentally, the, the basic service they offer is is a right hailing service. Okay.
0: And did the founders know each other before they
1: both worked at McKinsey? Did they know each other when they were there? Is that how they met or? They knew each other but not that well. So they got to know each other really well through the process of trying to create something. And in that process, you know, one of the first questions they had to ask was I think Mudassir Sheikh, I was from Pakistan, this was his idea. And uh, Magnus Olsen who's from Sweden decided that this wasn't an idea that excited him and mostly because he said a car sharing service that has no real purpose mm. you know it has nothing that's going to change you know i want to do something that's really meaningful and then they went out and they saw the way that drivers in the middle east have to live you know these people are not respected they often live four or five to a room they have to share beds and you know they spend their entire period over there working 7 days a week and sending all the money back home yeah and it was a chance for them to take this this class of people and give them respectability give them professionalism give them money uh, all of that to completely change their lives and sort of when they reframed it that way yeah um it you know completely sort of changed the way they thought about the business
0: and i found that really interesting because Mm -hmm. most uh people who are starting an organization to try and have an impact in the world are thinking about the end user, so to speak, sort mm-hmm. of the customer in the equation, mm-hmm. and here these guys started with the employees. Right. So their play was really to improve the lives of the people who work for them, by you know, as you said, sort of mm-hmm. raising their level of respectability, and at the same time to provide a
1: good service, obviously, for customers. Otherwise, you don't have a customer base. Yeah, and um, you know, I think that now I just spoke to them a couple of months ago. And they're looking at employing. You know, th- th- these people are not directly employees, but giving employment to in the order of a million people in the region. Wow! And so it's pretty remarkable. And and they've been going into country after country where they're doing the same thing. You know, Pakistan, Egypt, Tunisia, just across the whole region. Um, and for each of the people who comes in, they call them captains. Yeah. They don't call them drivers. I love that. And and they train them they don't just train them on how to drive a car, read a map, you know, do those things. They train them on how to be professionals. And they insist that their service is a professional service, and these are professionals providing that service. Therefore, you deal with them a particular way. They train them how to be on time. They train them how to be polite. They train them how to respect, you know, process and procedures. All things that these people, nobody has taken the time to to make them professional. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's really, really important to them. This
0: episode of Cold Call is brought to you by Indeed. Right now, small businesses have to be more efficient than ever, and that means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost the visibility of your job post at indeed.com coldcall. That's com slash cold call. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The heart of the case really looks at, you know, how they scaled this operation. So, mm-hmm. can you talk about some of the challenges they face? Because the case starts very early on, like in the very beginnings mm-hmm. of the company.
1: Yeah. So, you know, this is the first and the only company I know that measures its growth rate in 15-minute increment. So they literally, all their beepers go off if they haven't hit their target in 15-minute increments. They have- That's a little pressure-packed
0: day right there. (laughs) Oops, I'm out.
1: You gotta fix it before the next 15-minute increment comes in. As they took off, it wasn't just that they had more customers. It is that they had more cities, more countries, more cultures, more kinds of services. And, you know, I'd originally got intrigued by the company because of the growth. You know, the number of customers they had went from 4,000 to 4 million. Uh, the number of cities went from 4 to 40. You know, everything was a factor of either 10 or 1,000. And we're talking over a period of, of months here? No. So this was – the first year was sort of slow growth. Yeah. And then the next two years is when they, they completed okay. the hockey stick hit. And when that happens to a company, you go from – you know, a set of people who can share a pizza, to people who can be in a room, to people who now have to communicate in all sorts of indirect ways. Mm -hmm. And you as a founder have to deal with the issue that you can no longer control everything you do. Every decision is made by somebody else who's two levels removed from you. And so you have to do it by specifying your values, by setting up processes, you know, all kinds of things that are very indirect yeah um, and that's a fundamentally different skill than starting up. In most companies, it takes much longer to get to scale, and therefore people have time to learn. Um, in this case, you know when you're growing, they were growing at thirty percent a month. So every two and a half months, you're doubling. Mm. Uh, and that means that every six months, there are more new people in the company than people who've been there before. yeah, and these people are coming from all kinds of other companies and other cultures. And holding together the culture, holding together even the operation uh, becomes a huge, monumental challenge.
0: Yeah, and they started, I mean, obviously, almost like a mission-driven organization in the way Mm -hmm. that they started. Their values are critically important. Uh, How do you possibly uh, inculcate those values when you're growing at that rate? You can print them up. You can Mm -hmm. hand them out to people when they get hired. But was there anything that they tried to do as a way to... Uh, really help people, new employees,
1: understand the values of the organization? I, th- I think that in many ways they would say that the reason they've been able to grow that fast is because of the values. That if you don't have some common platform that everybody comes into and something that keeps getting reinforced, then people will disperse in a 100 different directions. Mm-hmm. And so just as a, as a quick example, one of the things they did very early on was most companies like them start by establishing customer service for their customers, for the end users. They had two sets of customer service people. One was for their users, and the other one was for their drivers. Mm -hmm. And so the captains, as they call them, would have a dedicated place to call if they had a problem of any kind. You have this notion of saying, if we have enough well-trained professional captains who who are respected and respect themselves, then there's no limit to how far we can grow. Yeah, I think in the last year was when they when they achieved unicorn status. Um, so they raised around over a billion dollars in valuation. And I believe it's the first unicorn in the Middle East. Yeah. That's and they, they encountered
0: some other issues that, like, Uber hasn't necessarily faced in the markets where they started. Uh, you talk about some of the innovations they did um, having to create their own version of Google Maps, for instance. Right. Yeah.
1: So, you know, not only do you not have the infrastructure that, that, that we have in the West, simple things like maps, addresses that count, but you also have regulations that are not clear. It's not clear whether these things can operate. They had a number of situations where local governments would choose to do things differently than the central government had said they could do, where people were arrested, you know, all kinds of issues of introducing something new into an environment that's been quite traditional mm-hmm. and everyone's trying to figure out what are the new rules of this game. And in that process you also have you know they they now have three founders, one is saudi, one is pakistani, one is swedish. And then the the top team I remember sitting across the table from them and there was a christian from india, a hindu woman from india, a couple of western people from stanford you know, just a mixture of sort of the whole world. Mm-hmm. And all of these people were working together to create something that was bigger than any of them. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, to me, it was just a fascinating example of what entrepreneurship can do and how much it can transform societies. Um, and in the process of transforming the user and the user experience, it's transforming what people think of themselves. Yeah. So Magnus, one of the founders, came over, he flew all the way, from there for one class here. Ah. And I asked him, du- during writing the case, I just know how busy he was, because he'd have slots of time, a few minutes at a time. Uh, and he'd be always traveling somewhere and going somewhere else. And you know, I said, it's taken you two and a half days, because you've got to fly all the way here, do the classes, fly all the way back. You know, Why are you investing so much time? We could have done a Skype call or something. And, and he said, "You know, this is a region I really love and it has so few stories that are positive success stories where people have built up something that everyone's proud of. And I want that story to get known across the world. Yeah. And I'll do everything I can to do that.
0: Well, and the other challenge they they face that you address in the case is getting people to want to go to work there. So the people the workforce that's skilled to do the jobs they have that's there can get more money working someplace else. Maybe that's not as true mm-hmm. now that they have achieved you know, unicorn status, but in the early goings, it was hard to find
1: the right people who were willing to come and work those hours for that pay. Yes, um, probably their biggest scaling challenge was finding experienced people who wanted to work for a startup and who even had the skills. Because if you don't have an entrepreneurial ecosystem, you don't have a supply of people who know what it means like to be in a uncertain, disorganized kind of environment that's growing really fast. And then when they brought in senior people, they faced the risk of those people diluting and changing the culture because they came from larger companies. Mm -hmm. And what they wanted to do was to show, to be a model for how other people around could actually build companies and meet the unique needs of that population. You know, they're now looking at expanding their businesses to other lines of business, But in all cases, the foundation of the company um, is really about doing good for the region. Yeah, Um, And that's, you you hear that, you hear people talk about values a lot. You rarely see that being really core to what they do.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, how did the MBA class go? You don't need to give away any any secrets, but uh, (laughs) I'm just curious as to how the students responded. And was there anybody who
1: had used Kareem's service? Uh, There were a number of students who were very familiar with Kareem. In fact, we had two students who had visited their offices. The other perspective that students really found intriguing was normally all these cases are written from the perspective of the founder struggling through all these problems. What I tried to do here was to have uh, one of the employees who had to live with the chaos of the growth describe her experience in it. It turned out that she was one of our students here Mm -hmm. and just through you know she called me one day and said i hear you're writing a case on kareem i was there you know i saw what a mess it was and most of our students are going to be in the position of being a joiner not a founder Uh, and in these very fast growing companies you know the point that she made was you can sit in the company and complain about why nothing works and processes don't come in and how we have to work so hard and founders make all the mistakes and so on or you can change and say, I have to fix this, that it doesn't matter if I'm not technically a founder, I am a creator of this company. And she took that posture and was able to be quite effective across a range of things. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, the job that has to be done when you join these companies is very different from the job that has to be done if you join an established company. She gives a little example of the first day that she was there, she met the founder, and she said, okay, what do you want me to do? And he said, well, you tell me what you want your title to be and you tell me what you want to do. And over the next six months, she did eight or 10 different jobs. Yeah. So the rate of learning there is much, much higher, but the rate of disorganization is also much higher. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure people listening
0: right now can easily self-identify if they have the tolerance to,
1: to thrive in a situation like that or if it just scares the heck out of them. You know, I think what I'd say is that you actually don't know that. It might scare the heck out of you and you might do really well in it. Yeah. Um, what, you, what you can be sure about is that you will learn a lot about yourself, you know, about your limits, about what it means when you stretch your limits beyond what you're comfortable with. You know, It's a little bit like mountain climbing in that you could have a much more comfortable time watching National Geographic on your TV, mm-hmm. or you could try and climb the mountain yourself. And if you did that, you'd be uncomfortable every moment of the way. But when you come down, you'd probably say that was an amazing experience. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you could accomplish something great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shikhar, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Great. If you enjoyed this episode of Cold Call, please subscribe on iTunes for more cases like this one. And while you're there, please write a review. I'm your host, Brian Kenney, and you've been listening to Cold Call.